Welcome to the Holy Smokes Podcast, a show about faith, friendship, fine tobacco and drink. I'm Steve Ryder in the lion's den with a friend who I had never met in person until we met at the study, Megan and Etienne Hardray's new home lounge, which is almost completed. Oh, but still amazing. Oh, like that was that, that, that was the setup, dude. Yeah. So, listeners, be sure to stay tuned. I've got an interview coming up with Demetrius Giannopoulos, Neil McKinnon, and Derek Fulmer about building home lounges. And then I'm going to start featuring some of these home lounges and talking to them about, you know, the design and, uh, you know, what sorts of problems and what kinds of tips do they have for people who are thinking about doing a home lounge or a garage lounge like the Lion's Den here Mm. or a shed lounge, which we've got a few people in Holy Smokes here in the Springs. Uh, uh, Troy and Andrea Vanderhuel and Paul Felitas now has a little shed lounge in his backyard. <laughs> and so, yeah, we'll, we'll be talking to all of these so that way all of you can get ideas for, you know, some sort of lounge, especially if you live in an area where there's a winter and you can't be outside all year round, like in Southern California yeah. or, you know, Texas, a good chunk of the year and that kind of stuff. Of course, if you. Even if I was in the South and I had a spot like this, I wouldn't go outside. Like, why, why bother? You know, like, this, this is a pretty good setup. So, yeah, yeah. So it could just be a year-round situation. That voice you just heard is Daniel Ritchie, my new friend. We connected on Facebook a while ago. Yeah, yeah. And just have had a blast just kind of getting to know each other, watching each other's stories that way. And, uh, you know, sharing sticks over pictures of sticks. Yeah, over the group and that kind of stuff and cheering each other on. And so, bro, it is so good to have you here. I know, man. It's, it's so good to like finally see you in the flesh, man. Like, I know. This is, this is what Holy Smokes is all about. Well, That's you were sure. like super excited because you were like, and, and, and you, you have an interview coming up tomorrow. Yeah. Being recorded for Focus on the Family. Yeah. Which is a big deal. Oh, no doubt. But you were way more excited about coming to the Holy Smokes motherland. Oh, no doubt, man. I mean, it's like, man, to see, I mean, much to your point, like to see the people that you've interacted with virtually for quite a few years now. And it's like to be able to finally like see them face to face, laugh with them, hug them. Like, I, I don't know, man, there, were, there was something about it. It just, it got me so incredibly excited. So first question. Yes. What you smoking? Man, I am smoking, uh, what is this? You said Espinosa Comfortably Numb? Dude, dude, this is, this thing's nice. For, for a guy who likes Maduro's, this thing is, it's landing well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I can get them, I've said this on the podcast a bunch, I can get them for about anywhere from 350 to 250 a stick on Cigar Bed. Dude. Yeah. Dude. For, for, for bang for the buck, in my opinion, I, I, I have yet to find something I mean, you, you can get some seconds that are really good and, you know, that kind of stuff. But, I mean, comfortably numb. Pink Floyd, I, I mean. Yes, yes. I mean, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, think, I think it's like to have that musical component. But then, I mean, this is a really good solid stick. Like, yeah. very, very well made. Um, but just for, for Maduro. And now given I'm like four puffs in. But yeah. she's nice. I just got uh, three boxes, I believe. Or three, yeah, three boxes off a cigar bid. A little bit more than what I normally pay, but I wanted to have three boxes. That way they're just sitting <laughs> just, in my humidor just, and I just never run out. So how, how big is your humidor? My humidor, so I've got a, uh, like a Tupperware, big, uh, big Tupperware container. That's probably, I'd say, about two feet long 
and uh, I'd say it's about a foot and a half tall. Yeah. And I've got a cigar oasis in there. Okay. That's that's managing the the humidity in there, keeping okay. it at seventy percent. And so I have no idea how many I can fit in there. I have no idea. But, <laughs> Dude, but I've, I've got it just, I've got a few empty boxes in there that are filling space yeah. that I'm going to have to pull out now that I'm getting these three boxes of uh, Comfortably Numbs because it's just such, it, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a great stick to give away. Yeah. It's yeah. a oh. really good stick to give away um, to, to, to my Holy Smokes friends yes. and let them try it. And, you, uh, you, you and, want and, and I'm not giving away, you know. 12, 13 bucks a stick. No, I'm giving it away no, for, you know, a hundred percent anywhere from two and a half to four bucks. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I'll, I'll give you a nice stick if you're having a baby, but I'm, I'm not giving you, I'm not giving you a $15 stick just cause. Yeah. 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 No, yeah. I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. So for people that don't, can't physically see you that haven't seen you in the Holy Smokes group. <laughs> yes. Yes. You don't have arms. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah you're, that's you're using your feet right now and I got to take a picture before we're done. So that's that way we post it in, you know, in, in the show notes. Yes. Because uh, you're using your feet to smoke cigars. A hundred percent, man. Use, using my feet to cut it, light it, smoke it. So yeah, this is just, man, this is a package and I came with man. So, you know, no, uh, no grizzly bears were involved in, in the removal of the, uh, of the, of the arms. This is just kind of, this is, this is moment one life for me. Yeah. So what was it? What happened? Nobody knows. Like that, that's the wild thing. Just they're, a they're, weird developmental yeah, thing. That yeah. Just literally. Fluke thing. Um, yeah. No medical explanation at all. And I mean, truthfully, no warning. Like mom had two ultrasounds, healthy pregnancy. So nobody even knew this was the case until I was born. Yep. So doctors holding uh, an armless baby boy in the delivery room. And in that moment too, like I was also not breathing, um, not breathing, not moving. And so the doctor just really quickly turns to my dad, shows me to dad. And then he just simply asked my dad, do you want us to let him go? And, you know, just looking at me and going, what's, what's the point? Like, what's, what's he going to do? You know? And, and so, I mean, I think for my parents, I mean, to go from what's supposed to be the most joyful moment of your life to like a double-edged like sort of shock. Like, okay, our baby's born dead and our baby's born armless. What in the world? But man, by God's grace, dad, dad signed up for it. You know, dad was like, man, that's, that's my boy. And I, I want you to do whatever it is you can do to try to revive him. Did they have any kind of Christian faith that, that was undergirding that belief? Yep, yep. Both, okay. both parents were, are, are believers, and, and, and they were believers then. And so I think that was a... Yeah. I yeah. mean, obviously, you know, just like, just the simple fact of, well, it's my son. It doesn't matter if he comes with uh, what's going to be clearly a struggle for us. Like, yeah. you know, we're, we're going to take him and love him regardless. So... Last night when we were hanging out at the hard race, you talked saying that the first 20 years of your life were difficult, hard, and if, you know, it was God's grace that the last 17 years have been a complete and total radical turnaround. And we'll get into that full story. But yeah. let's talk about those those first 20 years of your life. Because yeah. it, you, we were talking last night and you were like, bro, I completely understand telling this painful story. Me, my painful story of losing Elizabeth and her health journey and that and the pain behind that and how yeah. it's almost re-traumatizing having to retell it over and over as I tell the Never Alone Project story. A hundred percent. Talk about what, what those years were like and why was it so difficult? I can imagine yeah. kids were cruel and, you know, self-esteem issues and yeah. really the difficulty, the added difficulty of trying to navigate life without arms. 
I, I think you pointed it out really well. It's just like in, you know, in those formative years, was there physical struggle? I mean, yeah, because I, I mean, I grew up in the 80s, so inter internet's not really around yet. So it's not like you can Google, well, how do I eat with my feet? Or how do I, how do I like write with my feet? Because it's crazy. Like nowadays, there's literally like other armless people that have channels that it's like, hey, I'll show you how to do everything. And I'm like, what That's I wouldn't awesome. have done for a cheat sheet, you know, yeah, back, guy, back then. And guys like Nick Vujicic, who, yeah. who's born without arms and legs. Right, 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 right. So Who, who are just these, you know, examples for kids growing up to say, no, man, you can have a great life. Mm, yeah. yeah, you were dealt yeah. this garbage hand, but you, you use that adversity to turn it around and be something. And, you know, you, you can... You can change the world. You can do all these things. You can do everything everyone else can do and yada, yada. Yeah. And I think that was the one of the difficult <laughs> aspects for me was there just wasn't that. There wasn't a model to emulate. And so, you know, growing up was a lot of trial and error, like figuring out how to make my, my feet be my hands, you know, like figuring out how to stick a spoon in between my toes and eat or, you know, crayon in between my toes and color, right? Stuff like that. Because, you know, thumbs give you guys a real benefit. Wrists give you guys a real benefit. And so... A lot of times, like for me to figure out things was just to watch how you guys did it with your hands and at least try to get to the end result, not necessarily same process or same means. And so that just meant a lot of failure. But I mean, you know, by God's grace, again, had two great parents, dad that was raised in northern Maine. Um, so just kind of like rough, dude, like in, in a lot of ways. And so he didn't take a whole lot of junk from me. But a super sweet mom who, as dad pushed, mom would encourage, mom would pick up the broken pieces. And so I, I think it, it allowed me to arrive in a place where, you know, growing up physically, like I really was on par with everybody else. Went to a normal school, um, you know, got my driver's license at 16, just like everybody else, you know, fished, hunted with my buddies, played football. Really? Hunted? Yeah. yeah. How do you hunt? Yeah. I mean, just hold a gun, you know, uh, kind of. Either I, I really love like pistol grips on the front of guns yeah. or like hold it at the at yeah. the bottom of the barrel. And then, you know, my, my other foot will go back toward where the trigger is and squeeze the trigger off like that. Man, it, it, it works off pretty well. So, really? yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. If, if anybody's bored, they can YouTube shooting an AR-15 with no arms. And, and there's a video of me squeezing off some rounds with an AR. So, yeah, <laughs> if, 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 if you guys want to find a homework assignment after this, that, that one's a fun video. Where'd you grow up? Uh, so I grew up rural North Carolina. Okay, um, so, you, just, so you're, you're, not, not only do you live in North Carolina, but you were born and raised in the state. Yeah, man. It, where, it's, where, it's, where rural? So it's um, just south of Greensboro, North Carolina. There's this little tiny town called Julian, about 600 people, about 3,000, 4,000 cows. So, I mean, just like really redneck, really rural, really so you country. you grew up in a tiny high school. Oh, well, so they bust me into city schools um, when I got oh. to middle and high school. Like okay. my... My elementary school was maybe 200 kids, K through five, so a tiny little elementary school. But, you know, middle and high school, I went to schools of 1,000 plus. Okay. Um, so it, it was a little bit bigger. But, yeah, I mean, so growing up, physically, there were bumps, but it really wasn't bad. My struggle, like, really kicked in middle school years because um, it's like I always knew I was different. I always knew, like, okay, I've got to do things differently than everybody else, but it didn't change, like how I think I saw myself at the time. But then in middle school, I think it was like realizing that different was bad, that different was I don't fit in. I'm not like people I, I, like, the, like the other kids in my class. They can't understand my struggles. 
I can't really understand but like why so many people will stop and stare, look at me, bully me, you know, be cruel to me. And so that that like very quickly just created this cascading effect in in my heart like people don't like me. I'm broken. There's nothing redeemable about this. There's nothing good about this. And then two, it was like even though I grew up in a Christian home, grew up with with parents that loved the Lord, I think I started to define God's love for me by my circumstances. You know, I would... If God really loved me, he wouldn't have dealt me this hand. Yeah, oh, <laughs> dealt me no hands. Um, <laughs> you know, because, uh, I mean, it, re- it really was like, I mean, in my own heart, why doesn't God love me like God loves everybody else? God, God gave them fingers, God gave them hands and arms. Yeah. Like, where yeah. did I screw up? Where did I go wrong? And, and so I, I think that that was a real faith struggle for me. And so getting into the teens, it was just despondency, insecurity, hatred of other people, in all honesty. Really? Like, really? yeah, I'm, I mean, even to this day, I think I'm naturally an introvert because of that. I'm very anxious around people just because it's like, I know every time I step into a room, like even now I can feel the stairs. I know where they're coming from. Like, I, I you know, it's oh, just like, you can sense it. And, and so that just led to so much, I think, hurt, insecurity, loss of value in, in my own heart. And so that, you know, when you're talking about that dark part of my life, I mean, that, you know, up until 15, when I came to Christ, that was, I mean, it, it was foreboding. I mean, it really was like choking on, on just the weight of being different and not knowing how to reconcile that. I remember Dr. Dobson talking about how critical those junior high years are that at the time this is back i believe in the like the late 90s it might have even been 80s that 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 he first said this but he was saying this when i started working for him he really recommended if, if there was an ideal situation where you know the parents can't homeschool the entire time he said he really recommended element public elementary school then junior high homeschool. Do whatever mm. you can to get your kids and mm. really pour into them because those junior high years are critical. Yeah. And then he said, you know, if possible, private Christian school for those high school years because you want to establish that foundation, that worldview in those years. And, That's good. And, and then put set your, send your kids off and, you know, let them, you know, once they really establish that belief and, you know, they've made their faith their own, mm. you know, make the decision whether they, you know, if, if they go off to college, then, you know, whether it's, you know, Christian school, public university, whatever. Yeah. But he, he said specifically that it was those junior high years that were so influential. And I look back even at my life, those junior high years really, really, because I didn't know who I was. Yeah. Yeah. And here I am in this small town in southern Wisconsin, hmm. not much bigger than your hometown. <laughs> and, you know, it, where, where we, everyone knew each other and we're trying to figure out. And, you know, I was socially awkward and you know, bullied and really just trying to find myself. Those years were really, really critical. Mm. And it's why during those junior high years, I'm so glad that my boys were able to be homeschooled. And Mm. and during those years, we're really able to pour into them and, you know, just let them become who, you know, who they are now as 
Caleb's about to enter high school and, yeah. and Matthew's yeah. in high school. And I see just the confidence that they have that I didn't have mm. when I was that age. Mm. Man, that, yeah. Cause I mean, I think for all of us, it, you, you know, you would, you would hear the proverbial question, you know, it's like, if you could travel back in time, any part of your life, well, where would you go? What would you do? I don't think I've ever heard a single person go, you know what? I want to go back to junior high. You know, it's just like, <laughs> yeah. it's just, it, it's, it's rough. Cause I mean, it's like, we are figuring out like that identity piece that, that what's next, what's my value. And when you're in, you know, a junior high, even in private Christian schools, you know, as well-meaning as they are, there's a, almost a Lord of the flies dynamic <laughs> where it's just, the teachers only have so much control yeah. and, and the kids can be so ruthless. Oh man. So vicious. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and the, you know, it's all of us. If it was like you were too tall, too skinny, too, too fluffy, your name rhyme was something funny in middle school. Like you knew it cause everybody lets you know, you know? And, and I think, I don't know if that's a part of the feeling out, like the identity process is like, I, you know, I, I, I don't under, understand quite how, how that all works out, but you know, I, I was, the the wash of that time. I mean, it, it really got the best of me for sure. So, any siblings? Yep, older brother. Um, so, a uh, he's a he's an army guy. Um, getting getting ready to retire here in the next couple years. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, he was he's thirteen years older than me. So I mean, oh, he wow. was so he was out of the house. He was in the military by age five for me. So yeah. you know, it's kind of like. I had a hybrid scenario, you know, had a, had a sibling for five years and then, you know, re- really didn't see him very much. Those, those last like 13 years I was in the house, mm. but good dude, man. Mm. Like, uh, you know, uh, he's a, uh, he, I mean, a legit, like, I mean, hero for sure. So nice. Very cool. So you said you accepted Christ at 15, right? What happened? <laughs> uh, buddy of mine and uh in my science class you know, invites me to his like his youth group was having like a lock-in so he's like hey come hang out which for me again like this period of my life i had no friends uh you know i was just really struggling and so for him to say that i was like oh he likes me like oh this could be good and so i show up he didn't tell me it was a dodgeball lock-in and so it's like you know, I show up and armless people are garbage at dodgeball, dude. Like, you know, it's like, we, 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 we can't throw, we can't catch. And so it's just like, I get beat to death for like the first four hours of the night. And then, uh, you know, it's like midnight youth pastor gathers everybody up and, uh, you know, does the quick little like John three devotional on the love of God. Like as I'm icing my face, you know, from getting pummeled and I'm like, yeah, yeah love of God. Right, bro. Yeah. Yeah. You know, as soon as he's done, they get right back at, playing dodgeball. And and so I sit out, I'm sitting up in the bleachers and he comes over to me because him and I had never met. And so it was small talk, like, where do you go to school? We play any sports. And I I don't know if it's the Holy Spirit. I don't know if this, this dude was just really a people person, but I think he, he very keenly, I, I think was attuned to the fact that it was just like, I was a kid who was struggling. Like I was a kid who was hurting. And, um, and I will never forget, he, he literally asked me, you don't like your life, do you? And I was Ooh. like, no, I, I don't. Like, you know, and, and almost taking his little devotion that he had, he had talked about God's love, I was like, I don't feel any of that. Like you talk about how much God loves me and like I look at my life and I'm going, well, where's the evidence of that? Like I'm, I'm not seeing God's love. Like I have good parents. But, but that's it. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't see this. And so 
this dude just very faithfully for probably the next hour just walks me through scripture and like starts, starts applying scripture to my life, starts applying Psalm 139. You know, it's like that God fearfully and wonderfully made me even armless to display his glory, to be a part of his purpose, that, that I wasn't wow. an accident. And that even in this, like the psalmist says there in Psalm 139, I'll praise you because wonderful are your works. And this dude's reminded me like your, your armlessness is not an accidental situation. It's not a genetic mutation. Like God formed and crafted you specifically just like this to show the world more of him. I remember him, him hitting a, a couple of other points that are, that are kind of foggy, I think at this stage, but then it was like, I mean, he closed just his, his whole like evidence of God's love for me in the gospel, that God loved me enough that even as I question everything about him, I've, I've lived my first 15 years of, of my life, just like running from him, being done with him. God sends his, his best. God sends his son to live the perfect life I could never possibly live and to die a death I should die as someone who, who's a sinner and a rebel, Christ dies in my place. God raises him to life to show his power very, very clearly over both sin and death, like our, our two, I think, greatest fears and, and greatest weapons that the enemy has against us. And that, that in that, to those who trust in Christ is their everything. God brings them into the family of God. He gives us hope now. He gives us eternal life and then the life to come. And, um, and, and he incorporates us in, in his mission and sharing just the hope that we now have in Christ. And, you know, this, this guy's saying that that love is true of you. Like, I, I, don't, I don't think you've clearly realized that, that God has very clearly shown his love in like sacrificing his one and only son for you. And, you know, growing up in church, I'd heard the gospel a bunch, but I don't, I don't know why that night it was just like, the Lord punched me in the head. But I mean, it was just, it was so clear. It was so weighty. Do you, think, would, do you think part of it was someone took the time to sit next to you? A hundred percent. And just listen to you and then cast a vision for, no, dude. Yeah. No. Yeah. I mean, man, that's like... I, because, I, because chances are most, if not all, of the other times you heard the gospel growing up, was from somebody up on stage talking down. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, you know, I, I tell guys all the time, like the reason why I am where I am, I think both as a man, as a, as a husband, as a daddy, as a guy in gospel ministry is simply because not of like ministry programs, not of like good solid preaching. It was over and over like men who would take personal time with me to pour into me because it was like that next Sunday, you know, it's like that night I, I, I trusted Jesus as Lord at that little dodgeball lock in. And so the next Sunday, you know, you got to do the good Southern Baptist thing. You got to go to the front of the church and, you know, they present you. And so everybody awkwardly tries to shake my hand as they come by. It's like a nightmare. And, um, and like <laughs> right towards the end, there, there was this man in our church. You said um, something, you said something last night and I wanted to throw up a fist bump. I'm like, oh, he can't do that. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Yeah. It's like, I can, I can do like the, I can, the, foot, I, can, the f- I can rub your, your, your almost shaved head. Yes. As, yes. As like, uh, that was good, dude. Oh man. Yeah. I'm like a hug and pull. Well, you know, but it's like <laughs> beyond that, like norm, normal, like human greetings don't, don't work really well. I, I, I remember when I met Nick Vujicic at family talk and he was just like, 
Just give me a hug. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah, that's, yeah. that's, that's how like, I welcome people. Give me yeah, a hug. Yeah, I it's like, like right, I, I, I can't fight you off. We're just, we're just gonna we're just gonna roll with this. Um, but no, like that that Sunday, you know, as everybody came by, like toward the end, this man comes up to me that was in our church. He was, I don't know, at the time he was probably early forties. He introduces himself, and then I think next thing he said was, "Is anybody discipling you?" And I didn't even know what that was. I was like, "What, what does that mean?" And uh, he's like, all right, I want you to meet me at this. We had this little like greasy spoon breakfast joint in, in the tiny little town where, where we're from. And uh, he's like, meet me there Saturday morning and we're, we're going to hang out. And literally for probably the next, it was the next year and a half, I met with this man every Saturday morning. We talked about Jesus. We talked about life. We talked about marriage, talked about theology, apologetics. And it's like eventually, like as, as we get into this relationship, you know, what, which again, I, I didn't understand what discipleship was, but I mean, he, he was showing me what it means to follow Jesus is like, again, because of this man's investment, spending yeah. time with me, he, he looks at me and he goes, Daniel, I, I feel like God is calling you into ministry. Like God has gifted you, God has equipped you to, to go and, and I think share the story of his hope, not just in interpersonal ways, but like God has called you on, on a grand scale to go and take the gospel. <laughs> you know, it's like for me, recovering people hater, I'm like, no, nah, dude, like this, good. Yeah, good. yeah, this is, that, that's not my wheelhouse. But the, the words of that man, I mean, it rung through my head. For, for the next few months. Like even, even as I was insecure and I was adamant that I was not called into ministry, I think to have that man very carefully and kindly mm. point out how he saw God's hand on me, I think really brought me to where at 16, I was like, okay, uh, God, I'll give you what I got. And, and, you know, and, and it was through that male investment. I think for a lot of us guys, it's like, there's so much power, I think, and again, just what, what this whole Holy Smokes is oriented around. There's so much power in just like conversation and living our lives with other guys and be able, being able to affirm. Yeah. Um, and even at times to like lovingly correct. You know, we, a couple guys at, at the hard race last night, we were talking about that. That's, you know, that's part of Christian community is even at times like figuring out how do I lovingly correct a brother that I know is missing it. And, um, but that relationship we just had that happen a week ago oh, on wow. a Wednesday night where, okay. where a guy who I absolutely love, apparently unbeknownst to me was having some pretty serious marriage problems and, and it had been going on for a long time and all within the course of three weeks, someone super important in his life, a spiritual father died, he had an affair and then he and his wife filed for divorce. And wow, you're like, wow. all right, let's walk you through this, bro. Yeah. Let's walk you through this because, you know, you know that God still loves you. And we need to make sure that, you know, that is the absolute primary focus mm -hmm. for you right now is mm -hmm. understanding that love. And let's walk this out together. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, a really good friend of mine took him out shooting the next day and they, and they just, you know, they, they shot a tree and, yeah. and then chopped it down and yelled and screamed and got mm. some anger out and did some of that stuff. Mm. And, and, uh, I haven't had a chance to talk to him to see how that went and yeah. how that was for his soul. But yeah. that's what this is about. Yeah. It's, it's like, I don't, I don't think we can underestimate what God will do when we're just willing to, to invest and to love and to your point, to walk beside the guys in our life. And, you know, younger, older, like, 
guys, guys in our same age group. Like I, I think for God designed us to be in community because it's like God himself as, as the Trinity made us in his image for a, a father, son and Holy spirit that was already in community. And so it's like, we're, we're designed for that. And I yeah. think we, we desperately yeah. start to miss out on just so much of what we were made to be. Yeah. If, if we neglect, I think that community, that relationship. So last night you said the first 20 years you accept Christ at 15. Right. So apparently it wasn't all unicorns and, you know, rainbows and nope. for those next five years. Yeah. I mean, it was like, I think, you know, from, from that moment forward, yeah, I, I absolutely, I had a, a foundation of hope that I could draw on and encouragement and strength, but it was still rough. You know, I, I think in my own heart, there was still very much so like a, okay, God, like, I know you fearfully and wonderfully made this made me this way. I know that you've saved me, that you're giving me a hope, but I think it's the little three-letter question that always hangs over all of us is, okay, God, so why? Yeah. God, why why this? Why why such a such a hard road to to have to go down? And so it's like I I struggled underneath that and even like by age 20, I mean, I'm studying to, to go into ministry and it's like, I'm still working through my own hurt and insecurity and struggling. But I think right as I got into my late teens, early twenties to start to see that it's like, again, everywhere I go, it's not a private moment. Like people always, they're engaging me. They have lots of questions like, Hey bro, how do you, how how do you brush your teeth? How do you, how do you, how do you comb your hair? You know, stuff like that. You don't comb your hair. No, you got no, no hair. You, I, yeah, you, I was, that, you, that was, you buzz that with the hey, number one. But the, the good news is that when I was nineteen, I had a lot of hair. Praise God! But it is it is since departed. Um, it hasn't but, uh, completely departed. It's uh, thinned a little bit on the top, but you still got a good head of hair. My, my yamaka bald spots on point, man. But uh, <laughs> uh, I can't see that from this angle. Yeah, so. yeah. Thank goodness. But I, I think as I got into my my twenties, um, you know, there's there's a scripture that's just meant so much to me. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1 that God comforts us in our affliction so we can grant that same comfort to others in their time of need. And what I started to realize is like my very visible affliction gives me a very ready opportunity to dispense comfort. Because I think people very quickly, they can look at my floppy sleeves and know this dude's been through it. But then they, they'll like look at my face, they'll look at my demeanor and you know, I'm not like a mopey dude. I wouldn't say I'm, I'm like overly giddy, but it's people in a worldly sense don't understand why I have hope and joy. There's a yeah. peace yeah. about you. Yeah. And, you know, a little bit of joy that, that just in meeting you. But there's just, no, it's, it's, there's more than a little. But it, just the way you carry yourself, it's like, nah. Yeah. Yeah. I'm good. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Life's good. And, and so what I started to realize is like, I now have this very ready opportunity to share the gospel with people in, in one-on-one situations, like when I'm at the gas station or at a McDonald's or at a grocery store, like I get to give people the hope that God has given me because they asked, you know, like what happened? Like, how, how are you at this place? And it's like, and that's all because, you know, to go back to the why, it's all because God made me like this. And, and to realize mm. that it truly is, now, very clearly, it's a tool to show the world yeah. more of him and his glory. And, yeah. um, and, and even as a believer for those four or five years, I didn't see it. But I mean, I think just through God kindly maturing me is to realize 
this is just as much a, a tool for his glory as, as any sort of like very evident like gift of teaching or gift of prophecy or, or anything like that. Like it truly is a, a tangible gift to, to show the glory and the grace of God. Hmm. So where'd you go to school? College. Yeah. So there, there's this tiny little college that's, I guess, all paired along with um, Southeastern Seminary in, uh, in Wake Forest, North Carolina. And so it's called College at Southeastern and, um, and double majored in basically like Christian worldview and then biblical studies. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it was lot, lots of reading and writing for, for a guy who never read and write in North Carolina public schools. So really? Uh, yeah. Oh, man. Like, yeah, I, I think by really? the time I graduated North Carolina public schools, I had maybe read two or three books. Yeah. And that's it. Okay. Like, you know, you like see, chap- you knew how like, to read. Yeah. 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 Read. It was just kind of like, you know, you're reading of mice and men, you know, that was, that was about Ugh. as, yeah, that was, that was, that was about as complicated as it got. Um, and, and so to get there to where you're reading Plato, John Locke, Rousseau, yeah. Kant, guys like that, you're <laughs> like, bro, do we speak the same language? Like, you know, it's like, I don't, well, I mean, obviously Kant spoke German, but it was translated in, yeah. you know, yeah. but, yeah. um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, was a, it was a challenge for sure. But I think God was putting tools in the toolbox, you know, I think for those four years. And then um, in the summers in college, I'd work at a Christian camp. So it's like I got to take the tools and put them to use. And even there at, at that camp, that's, that's where I met my wife, my, my junior year of college. And then we, really? we were married after my senior year. So, it, I mean, the Lord was working in that time. How did you guys meet? Um, so you met there at the school, but yeah, how? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so we met at a camp um, up in the mountains. And, uh, and it was one of those deals. We had a mutual friend. Um, and, uh, and so the mutual friend had told each other about one another. And it's like, I think you guys might, might have some stuff in common. And, uh, and so we met and it was like, oh, you're, you're, you're Tyler's friend. Oh, you're Tyler's friend. Dude, it was not fireworks at all. Like really? it, it was pretty, it was rough. Like it, it, it was so? not, it, well, I mean, it was just like, it was not what you would think a love story would come out of. Cause yeah. it's like, after that, we didn't talk for like two weeks, you know, it was yeah. just kind of like, eh, okay. But then, um, you know, we would just, uh, the way the camp was set up is like, um, there's about a hundred camp staff that would, that would be attached, um, that, that worked at the camp. And so as, as churches would come and as churches would be a part of camp, they, they would attach staff to, to the yeah. churches. And so, you know, a couple times I, I got to work with, with her on churches. So I got to know this girl a little more. And man, I, I realized real quick she was, she was worth putting a ring on the finger. So how long did you guys date? Yeah, we didn't. <laughs> I mean, seriously, like our, our first date was two weeks after we engaged. Because it was like, you know, we worked in camp ministry all summer. It was total, totally friends. Um, and then it just so happened that it's like her hometown, um, was where I went to college. And so like when she would come home from college, like that first part of the fall, I'd hang out with her and her family, you know, eat like family dinner with them. Cause it's like our school didn't have like a school cafeteria. So it's like, I had to cook everything. And so it was like ramen and mac and cheese was, was the only way I didn't starve to death. And so it's like her, her mom was really kind. She knew that. So she fed me a bunch. And, um, but then it was just like hanging out with her and, um, just getting to know her. I was like, this girl's the one like, you know, cause I, you know, as, as we got to know each other, she, I mean, she told me straight up, she was like, man, as a teenager, like I clearly knew God had called me to be a pastor's wife. Like, and so she's like, I'm, I'm just looking for that. Like, and, and so I'm sitting there going, I mean, you know, I want to be in ministry, right? So maybe, maybe this is kind of like the, the perfect relationship. And so, 
I met her in May of that year, proposed to her in October. And it's like, literally I proposed to her, it was like midnight. And then the next morning she, she went back and drove to school. I didn't see her for two weeks. And so I finally drove up there and we, we did our first date. We did a, a subway picnic on the Blue Ridge Parkway in the mountains of North Carolina. So that was, <laughs> that was our first date. And it, it, and it was as, as an engaged couple. How long have you guys been married now? Uh, 15 years. Yeah, man, it's awesome, man. I mean, we really have like, we've grown up together in so many ways. Cause I mean, we were married, I was 22 and she was 21. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, we were, we were kids, Pops. we were Pops. kids, man. But, uh, but just to see how God has grown us together through, through these 15 years, man. Well, I wouldn't trade it for anything. I'm, I'm glad we got married young, did the broke married couple thing for, for a while. But I mean, you know, I, I think God used that even to, to bring us together and to grow us up. You got kids? Yep, nine-year-old boy and a, and a six-year-old little girl. And so the boy is the spitting image of me. The girl is the spitting image of my wife. And so it's like we get to look in little mirrors and go, oh, this is how jacked up I was as a kid. Like this, <laughs> this, makes, this makes so much sense. Um, but no, that, I mean, they, they really are awesome, man. It's like when I, when I travel, it's like I'll, I'll get, you know, 24 hours on the road. And I'm like, I miss them. I miss them already because, I mean, they are so cool. They bring so much life, um, so much light in, into our life. And, yeah, I, I wouldn't trade that for anything. I so love talk, talk about those first years of being married, ministry, all that. What did you do? Because you didn't immediately jump into speaking, did you? No, no. So I was, um, first 13 years of our marriage, I was a student pastor. And so, I mean, we literally, we got back from our honeymoon and I started in, in my first church as a student pastor that next day. And, um, and so, Where you at? know, we, we, um, so it's, uh, actually it was right in my hometown. It was the church I got saved in, hmm. um, a, a church, uh, called Pleasant Garden Baptist Church, just yeah. in the outside of the Greensboro, uh, North Carolina area. And so I, I was their associate student pastor at, at the time. And yeah, I mean, you know, we, we didn't have much. Um, I mean, I was, I was part-time when I started. She was still in college. And so, you know, we didn't have very much to boast about. I mean, I think our, our monthly date would be like a Wendy's, you know, Wendy's trip. And that, that was about it. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, it was tough. I mean, obviously nobody enjoys being broke. Um, but, but it was sweet times, man. You know, it's like getting, being able to pour into pour into teens, I think, give them, you know, that same hope, that same gospel that, that both her and I, like, had just really come to trust and rest in in our teens. It was just really full circle. And so I think that's why we were, we were so passionate about student ministry for those 13 years, man. It was just, I think, to pour into a generation that, that, that is the church of now, man. It was, it was just something that, I mean, man, we loved for, for, for that, uh, that section of our marriage and our life. Where'd you guys go after that? So after that, um, you know, began just this parachurch role that I'm in now as like an evangelist and speaker and, and writer. You know, I, I, I kind of do a little, little bit of everything, but I think most... How'd you get into it? You know, it was... So probably for, you know, I, I made this transition in, in 2018, and it was probably for the five years before that. Like even as a student pastor, guys would call me and they'd be like, hey, would you come preach at my church? Or would you come preach at our camp or our, our youth event? And it, I mean, it would probably happen 15 to 20 times a year. But I'm, I'm sitting here going, I can't leave my kids. You know, it's like, I, I, I have a job, I have a ministry, you know, that, that I'm doing with these guys. And so it's like, I can't, I can't possibly do this right now. 
um, just because, you know, this, I'm called to them. This is, this is my focus. And then in 2018, I just finished writing my first book. I turned it into the publisher. And, and I just remember Heather and I going, you know what? Like, if there ever was a time, now is the time to take this step out. And, and I mean, there, there were other circumstances in there. Like, you know, the church we were at at the time, it was not a healthy, like, just church dynamic at all, not a healthy leadership dynamic. And so we needed to get out of there. Um, and, and so I think that paired with just where we really clearly saw God's hand, it was just like, I think now's the time. I think now's our time to jump into just this world that I think God is calling and, and had been calling, I think, for a long time, but I'd just been very hesitant. You know, I, I just, there there was something about being on the road a bunch that I just, I was not comfortable with yet, but yeah, 2018, we finally made that switch. So I'm sure there are people listening right now that they feel that call into speaking, maybe writing, because they have a story. Yeah. And I'll be honest, that's kind of where I'm at right now. A hundred percent. Because I went through this crazy story with Elizabeth Mm. of years of chronic illness and caring for a sick wife and then it all fell apart with COVID because she was ultimately a casualty of the way in which we shut down. Not only did she not get the medical care that she needed, but then she spent that 21 days in the hospital where I was never once allowed in. Yeah. No one was allowed in. Yeah. And study after study shows that physical touch heals. Mm. Having someone there, yeah, it heals. It aids in the healing process, yeah. and loneliness and isolation kills. Yeah, we're not we're not designed for isolation, you know. Yeah. So, what was that like for you, getting that going? Like, what 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 would be some advice you would give to people that are feeling that call? What advice would you give to me? Yeah, um, you know, I, I think first it's like, and and this this was really something that God was teaching me. I, I think through that process is like. Even as a guy who'd been in ministry so long and gone to seminary, you know, all this stuff, I think I'd always just describe calling as this like internal thing, you know, like when I'm called, I'll know. But it's like biblically, you see, you you do see that. I mean, you do see an an internal calling, like a, a very clear personal, like God is setting you apart. But especially in the New Testament, you see this external calling too, where like all through the New Testament church, you see it, you see it in Titus, you see it in Acts, there's an external calling. Like the elders of the church, good godly men would, would look into the lives of the guy, guys in their assembly, in their body, and they would call them out. They would say, you know what, God, God has called you to this. God has gifted you, um, you know, to serve as e- either an elder or to serve, a, you know, the, the role of an evangelist, like there's very much so an external calling. And so I, I think for anybody out there, you know, that's pr- praying through, you know, stepping into to this like speaking world or, or even stepping into ministry in general, I, I think it's first to just prayerfully like look into your own heart, your own life. But then I think too, it's to, it's to talk to good godly men. Because, you know, for me in 2018, the thing that changed changed the game for me was, um, you know, by then I I had fully jumped into Holy Smokes, um, gotten to, you know, gotten to know um, a bunch of guys. And so three Holy Smokers, we got together at a shop in in Charlotte and I just sat down with them and I was like, guys, this is what I really feel like God is calling me into. What do you think? And, And so just for the next like two, three hours, 
you know, these guys, we, we talked through ministry, we talked through, I mean, it was like nuts and bolts stuff. Like, okay, how are you, how are you practically going to do this? How are you going to practically provide for your family? Praying together as, as four guys. And then finally, it's like, you know, just sitting there talking with, with these men, all who were older than me. Um, one, one was a pastor, one is in parachurch ministry working with, uh, with marriages. And then the other guy's just an entrepreneur that loves Jesus. But all three of them, they looked at me and they were like, we think this is what God has called you to for, for this time in your life. And, um, and even as I was still very much so like scared and very nervous about it, I, you know, I went home that night and I, look, I looked my wife in the eye because, I mean, we had been in this conversation as a couple, but, uh, you know, I looked at her and I was like, I really do think it's time, um, you know, and just to have that, that external calling, external affirmation from men I trusted, um, I, I think that really buoyed me in, into taking that step that I was not very comfortable with, but, but very, you know, I, I think it was just the aspect of, you know, I'd been in ministry 13 years you know, always had a salary. Yeah, like you always, you always knew where, where your provision was coming from and stepping into this. I mean, it's like COVID. Yeah. Oh man. And challenge. I mean, pra- praise God. It's like, you know, I, I was able to get things up and running before COVID hit. And it was like, I mean, in 2019, things really were going well. I mean, by, by then it's like my book had come out. Um, I had done some press. I, I, you know, I'd written for Fox news. I'd been on a Fox news show by that point. And so it's like, things were moving really well. And then the world shuts down. And I literally for seven months, I couldn't provide for my family at all. I mean, it was like a 95% income loss. And I mean, in all honesty, like it, it was probably, we, we got to July of 2020 and, and I was looking at my wife going, if literally nothing changes in the next 30 days, I'm, I'm a, I'll just find another job. Cause you know, it was like, at that point we, we had exhausted all of our resources. Like we really were like starting to get to the point where it's like, this, this is getting into a bad situation, but by God's grace, the, the world just very slowly started to open up. It was like a couple of speaking gigs a month. And then, you know, by, by the time that the calendar flipped and in, into 2021, it was, I, I was back to, to preaching every week, speaking every week. Um, so yeah, it was, it was a challenge, um, for sure. Um, but then I think too, the, the other bit of advice I would give guys is, is, is they're prayerfully, you know, trying to think of, should I do this? It, it's, you know, it is what you have to offer something that a, like you, you just love, you live for, you, you know, you would, that's a hill you're going to die on. Cause probably more often than not in ministry, you're, you're going to have to get to a couple of those places where it really is like, you've got to like scratch and claw to keep grinding. But then I think too, it's like, do do you feel like that that what God has given you in both your giftings, or the story, or what yeah. you have been through, is it something that the church desperately needs to hear? Which, like you know, we were talking last night. I mean, even for you and your story, I, th- I think there's very much so a void where God has kindly, I think, given you a voice and given you a platform where you can very capably speak into both through experience and both, you know, applying the grace of God to that experience where it's, I, I haven't met very many people that can do that. And so I think it's for us to prayerfully look at our own life and be like, has, has God very clearly and capably equipped me and called me in a, in a way that it's just like, 
if it's not me, it's not going to be anybody else. And so I think it's to know that truthfully, that's true for all of us. Like God has given us both platform and opportunity that no one else has. And I think for us to to prayerfully seek how that fleshes out in our in our everyday life, even if we end up staying as a as a CPA or, you know, a guy that, that works in marketing or a guy that, that works from home, it's like, well, still, how can I do that to the glory of God? How can I be a part of my local body to the glory of God? Like we're all, we're all called. And, and for some of us, it is, it is on a, just a, that nine to five basis, you know, um, just as, as, as a vocation instead of just offering up my life, like Romans 12 calls us to, to just sacrifice it to the glory of God. What's your big life message? Man, I think for me, it's when it all comes down to it, we're not a sum of our circumstances. And, and especially for us as men, we're not the sum of our jobs. We're, we're not the sum of the external like perspective that the world sees us as. It's we're not, so easy for us. And, and really, the culture reinforces that. That, that it's all about status. It's about, it's about you know your position in the job, moving up the corporate ladder, and really feeds that. Yeah, I mean, the, the world tells us that we are what we do. We are what we make. We are what we have. Christ says otherwise. We, we are who we are in, in him. Like, we are who we are. I mean, it's like Paul says, it's by the grace of God that I am who I am. And he says, and so it's because of that that I, that I work harder than anybody else. I mean, to show the world more of his glory. And so I think it's for us to realize that it's like, it's by grace we've arrived where we are. It's, it's by grace that we wake up this morning. It's by grace we get to, to hug our wife, to kiss our kids, to lead them, to love them, to shepherd them. And when we see our life as that, as an overflow of grace, I think we can't help but respond in worship with, all right, God, whatever I have, I'm going to use it for you. Daniel Ritchie, let's get to rapid fire questions. Oh, oh, bring it on, bring it on. Hey, everyone. I wanted to announce that we have Holy Smokes gear. That's right. We have swag. We currently have hats, shirts, stickers, like for your vehicle or your travel humidor, magnets, even branded bourbon glasses for a limited time. Go to holysmokes.club and click on the shop tab. That's holysmokes.club. I'm super proud of the shirts. They're made with Bella Canvas shirts that are soft and incredibly comfortable. The hats fit wonderfully, which can be a problem for those of us with big noggins. We plan on having a lot more to offer, like Guayabara shirts, additional t-shirt designs, beanies, polos, hoodies, cigar accessories, and much more. Check it out. And even if you don't make a purchase now, be sure to sign up for that email list, as I've thrown a couple big discount coupon codes for those exclusively on that list. So click the shop tab at holysmokes.club. Thanks. Rapid fire. Fire. How's that stick treating you? Oh, dude. So good. I, I, I wish I didn't have to yak so much. <laughs> <laughs> well, once we're done, once we're done recording, we'll, we'll get back we, and just we, hang we, out we, and we finish get, that sucker. We, we get to enjoy the fruits of the labor. When did you first try cigars? Or pipe? Um, so... Um, Cigars actually began, and don't don't tell the president of my college this, um, but uh, but it began in college. It started with like 
gas station Garcia <laughs> e, e I'm Vegas. Yeah, I'm there yep. with you. Philly um, Blunts. Yep, uh, yep. Philly Titans. Philly Titans. Yep. So, so for us, I mean, it really was like finals week at our school was just really pressure packed. I mean, you would probably write 150 pages worth of papers in in a week. Yeah. And um and so every night it was just like my brain was shot and I just needed to download and so. There was this high school across the street from our college. So I'd go on their tennis courts and I would light up a little gas station cigar and just just sit in stillness and not use a brain cell for, for an hour, hour and a half. And so that's how the whole shebang started. That's for sure. So yeah, it was a, uh, it, it was a, it was a, it was a personal health moment. That's for sure. The thought just hit me that I need to, in the next year, go to a gas station, get a Philly Titan, <laughs> throw it in my humidor, just leave it there for a month. And just for a celebration, just try it just for, you know, in, almost an anniversary of my 30 years of, of since I tried cigars. Is, is that a celebration or is that like a punishment? Cause it's like, <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I'm very glad I've left behind like Swisher sweets and, uh, and, and gas station cigars and black I'll, and mild. I'll, I'll, I'll finish it with, with, you know, like maybe a, a, a one-off, Okay. By Illusione okay. or, or okay. one of those cigars that I really like, but just to kind of this is where I started, and this is where I am. It's kind it's, of a, it's God's way of reminding you you have arrived in the promised land. Like it's like <laughs> yes, yes, Lord, no, no more, no more quail, no more manna. I, I get the good stuff now. So yeah, the milk and the honey. That's right. So have you ever done pipe? No, no. It's just there. Too- there's there's a part of me where I'm like. That's a lot of work. I'd just rather cut light and put it all in an ashtray. I, you know, I love the smell. I, I love, you know, it's like, I, I see my buddies that do it, but it's just like, I don't know. I'm lazy. I'm a lazy smoker, bro. I just, I just want to sit and smoke. So, I, so um, a buddy of mine, Tim Geithner, he's my state representative, run a couple no patient left alone bills in the state house. Mm. Um, he's become a really good friend. And he's in the Holy Smokes community. He comes once in a while. He had this opportunity for a uh, this this pipe distributor, say a re- regional sales guy, came in and did this pipe class at this small shop in small town Peyton, Colorado, hmm. which is about twenty minutes northeast of where I live in Falcon. Okay, and I really, really got some techniques and he showed and I was like, Oh, okay. All right. And, and for me, there's something cool. Just, I don't like smoking cigars by myself. A hundred percent. Unless it's a celebration I'm celebrating by myself, but it's a social thing for me. Yes. Meanwhile, a pipe and go out in the backyard, sit at the table that we have out there on the outdoor patio furniture mm. and just, just sit there with a pipe and either listen to a podcast or read and, um, and back, I mean, when Elizabeth was alive, mm. I could smoke a pipe in my office and mm. she was totally, she loved the smell, mm. how it would just kind of just slowly permeate throughout the house. And then I'd yeah. open up my office and in a day or two it'd be gone. All no that way. smell would be completely okay. gone. Okay. And, uh, there, there's something about pipe for me is about solitude and just mm. being by myself and spending time with God and that kind of stuff. So. I so really so if, if you had to choose, like, it's oh, just it's, like it's cigars, cigars. Okay. It's, it's, it's cigars. Like, right. Yeah. Just because th- those times that I'll smoke my pipe are, I wouldn't say rare, but they're few. Right. 
Right, right, right. Okay. But meanwhile, a cigar, I'm, I'm having it with you. I had yeah. it with you last night. I, I at, know. At the Hard Rays. Yeah. And, oh, no doubt. You know, no the doubt. previous week at the Holy Smokes. Mm. And uh, so, yeah. No, I feel you. I feel you. Favorite cigar? Ooh. Man, it's going to be anything from Padron. Do you have a Padron story? I do. I do have a Padron story. Uh, gosh, this was probably, this was winter of 2019. So it's right, right before the world shuts down in December, 2019. Um, the Charlotte cigar club would do a, um, they do an annual like Christmas event. And, um, you know, I think it was like, like a hundred bucks or something. You get four course meal, four Padrones, two of which were like custom blends. And then Jorge Padron flew up, did like Q and a stuff like that. And so being a Padron guy, I was like, I'm going to this event. Like, I was like, hundred bucks kind of steep, but I was like, it, it, it's worth it. And so, you know, went and, and first like hour or so, it's just guys, you know, getting to meet each other, hanging out, lots of standing and smoking. I cannot stand and smoke. And so I'm the only guy in the banquet hall sitting, sitting by myself, just lit up my, my uh, 1926 puffing on that. And a man sits beside me, and it's, it's Jorge Padron, and he puts his arm around me, and he's like, brother, it's the coolest thing I've ever seen in my life. And I was like, why, why thank you, Mr. Padron. And, um, and, you know, it was just so cool. We, t- we talked, he talked, uh, family is very much so a part of his story. And, um, and so we talked family for a really long time, and then he reached into his, um, like his, his coat pocket, and he pulled out a, a Padron family reserve. And he's like, brother, I want to give this to you. You're on a not, condition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, you can't sell it. You can't take any pictures of it. He's like, I just want you to enjoy this. And I want you, and he said, I just want you to think about the legacy of my father. And um, I was like, yes, sir, I will. And, um, and so, you know, saved that stick. And, um, and, a, and a few months later, uh, smoked it. And I mean, obviously, best, best cigar I have ever smoked in my mm. life, man. The hands down. So, yeah, I think uh, I'm a, I'm a padrone lifer at this point. Most expensive cigar you've ever smoked, well, you've ever it, bought, or been ooh. gifted, and and the the family reserve doesn't count. Yeah. Oh. Okay. Um, because it's not sold. It's true. I know. I, I even I was curious. I, I I tried to Google it, but it's I mean it's not on the internet anywhere. So yeah, no. I, don't, I don't even know what it would it be valued at. I bought an Opus X before. And it, and it it was good, but it was one of those deals I finished it and I was like, I don't know if that was $50 good. You know, like, I mean, it, it was a good stick. But yeah, I mean, beyond that, like, I'll maybe do like the $25, $30 Padrones, Placencias, stuff like that. But I really, I don't know what it is. I, ju- I just don't chase top shelf sticks very much at all. Maybe it's just the... Uh, the the you know Bro- broke broke youth yeah, pastor yeah yeah the, pastor. The, the broke youth pastor the um, professional speaker and evangelist you know the the stick budget is not very broad uh, yeah. shall we say so yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm more I'm, I'm more your bottom shelf cigar type guy yeah mm. best dollar for dollar cigar you smoke southern draw and anything from them the really yeah how much do you get them for um so where I do mean, you get them yeah, so I'll, I'll typically, I'll chase them down at Cigar Bid. Um, more often than not, you can get like a five pack between 25 and 30, so f- five, six dollars a stick. And, um, and man, I've, 
just every every one of theirs. I've just never had a bad one. Um, I love probably my favorites, Rose of Sharon, which is which is weird for me because I'm a full bodied guy, but it's just like it's kind of like a medium to light stick, but just an incredible smoke. And then they have a a, a, a full bodied uh, stick called the Firethorn that uh, it's a stick with teeth, man. I, I, I like it. I like it. It's got a little bit of spice to it. So yeah, dollar for dollar, anything from Southern Draw. Where's your go to place to get your smokes? So um, right now I, I am in, in very much so a, uh, an internet buy um, type of scenario. Raleigh, North Carolina is very barren of shops. Um, really? Yeah, it is. There, there, there's, there's a thriving, a really good group of holy smokers there in the Charlotte area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I, I was in Charlotte until end of 2020. We moved to Raleigh, but Charlotte... Now, when I was in Charlotte, they had a Casa de Monte Cristo that was off the charts. I mean, probably maybe 3,000 square feet of seating space. So, it, I mean, it's incredible setup. And then there was a, a place in downtown Charlotte called, um, now they're called Charlotte Cigar Culture. Yeah. So it's like you can sit on their patio, see the big sky rises, the Panther Stadium. Um, just, but Raleigh's a difference. Ra- Dude, Raleigh is like, we're the kings of like, CBD vape and we'll give you four choices of cigars like it's those those sorts of shops and then there's one shop where you can get cigars but there's no real lounges no it's like well it's a lounge but you got to pay the $150 a month membership and and again it's like on on my little shoestring budget it's like that it just doesn't jive so yeah yeah, right now I'm, I'm an internet buyer and then hey let's go smoke on somebody's back porch so that's the scenario right now which being in North Carolina there's most of the year you can, oh, dude. You can smoke. I, I mean, even, even right now, the, the, my wife is getting me a, a fire pit for Christmas. Mm. And so that way your boy is about to be a year round smoker and, uh, in Raleigh. So I'm very, mm. very excited about that. I love Raleigh. I love that town. I, I was there when I was a senior in high school. My dad had a, um, class that he had to take for his job. And I looked at the dates and I was like, ma, this coincides with our spring break. Yeah my senior year and I was like let's do this as a family and let's go out there and they were like actually yeah that's a really good idea and so we went out there and I fell in love with that town oh man I really did I mean I I I got all the paperwork for NC State and I was like this would be a great place to set my roots oh man and and I mean truthfully that's that's why we're there we were in Charlotte I transitioned into um you know into speaking and evangelism and so at that point, it's like, well, we can live anywhere in the U.S. Like, and, and as long as it's like semi close to an airport, like we, yeah. we can live anywhere. And there's, a, and, I mean, I mean, I'm sure the Raleigh Durham area has has a decent airport yeah, to get in yeah, and yeah, out yeah. because oh, I mean, sure. you've got NC State, mm-hmm. Duke, yep, Wake Forest, yep. all within you know just walking distance almost of yep. each other. And so all things considered, we looked at Raleigh and we're like, that's it. Like we're 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 just going to move here. We're going to raise our family here. Give give the kids a good. You know, for North Carolina public schools, the, the, the education system there in Raleigh is great. So we're like, I, I think it just checks all the boxes for us. So that's why we went out there. Even though it's a cigar shop desert, I mean, it's, it's still worth it. Still worth it. <laughs> What's your splurge cigar? Ooh, splurge cigar. Padron? Yeah, Padron and Placencia. I love the, um, I love the Sixto from Placencia um, just because box press or you know their little six-sided cigar 
I can roll a little easier in my toes um, and just enjoy that smoke. And so, yeah, Padron and Placencia, Padron, praise God, they're all into box press too. So, yeah, it, uh, it makes me a happy man. Favorite liquid pairing with your smoke? Ooh, bourbon. Um, okay. Yeah, bourbon, 100%. I'm still, I'm still kind of new to the bourbon world. I used to be a... Um, a stout guy. So I do a Guinness or, you know, out here in Colorado, um, Breckenridge Brewery, they have a vanilla porter yeah. um, that, that pairs really well with Maduros. And, um, and and so I used to be a stout guy, but probably in probably the, the past four to five months, uh, it's it's been bourbon pretty regularly. So most interesting person you've ever met through cigars. Um, gosh, it, it I mean, obviously it would either be um, Jorge or um, a few months ago, I popped into a shop in Franklin, Tennessee. I was on the road speaking, just wanted some time to chill. So popped into a shop and, and, you know, it's like guys are always chatty and so get to talking. And this guy comes in who's very clearly blind. And, uh, and so somebody in the shop connects us to like, Hey, y'all need to meet. Come to find out he's the head of accessibility services for Amazon. Like he does all of their like mm. visually impaired, um, like accessibility to the website. And the Joker even codes Amazon for visually impaired, even though he's blind. And I'm like, how does coding work when you can't like see? Uh, you know, it's just like my mind was blown and just, but just sitting there talking to him, how he does his job, but then also just- That's awesome. Be, but just even Amazon's passion of, I mean, they truly are, they're all about trying to serve um, people with disabilities and, and um, provide them, I think, technology and adaptive resources that help them live their life better. And so that, That's I mean, rad. Yes, That's rad. yeah, so that was definitely one of the, one of the more interesting uh, guys I've ever met. Best place you've ever smoked? Ooh, man. Not including here right now. Yes, not not including here right now because it is this, your second best place. Yes, yes, my my second best place. I mean, honestly, it, it's probably just going to be anywhere by water. I mean, there there's just something like I that, knew I liked. Yeah, you. the so I mean, for me, typically um, beaches of North Carolina is where we'll do our family vacation every year, and so my rhythm is you know play with the kids hard all day. Um, we'll go out to dinner, put the kids down. And then I'll go into the back porch and I just read for three or four hours, read and smoke. And, um, and just, to, just to be able to read, smoke, hear the waves lap, Ooh, yeah. lapping up onto the, onto the shore, you can't beat that. So two years ago, my, my family and I went to Western Australia where my brother was living at the time. He's now back in the U.S. for a year and then deciding whether to head back to Australia to continue ministry or kind of reestablish roots here mm. in the States with his wife and daughter. And uh, we, we had a cigar. We, we, we got this Airbnb just across the street from the ocean. Yeah. I mean, it was like you walk across the street to this parking lot and then over this little berm and you're at the Indian Ocean and oh. south of Perth. And it was so rad. It was, it was, it was magical just yeah. to sit there with my brother and, you know, just, just talk and hang out hear the ocean mm -hmm. and yeah he just today this morning posted they're they're um, at a place in uh back in that area right before they come back to the u.s in the last days before they come back to the u.s and uh he, he posted a picture there and i was like oh ryan i wish i, I was there with you i i, I saw I that wish. i saw that post in the group this morning and i was like 
That's the setup right there. Yeah, man. That, that's incredible. Yeah, so I, I totally get being by the water. Yeah. I yeah. totally get that. Lowers the blood pressure, man. Oh, yeah. Best conversation over a cigar. Oh, man. I mean, honestly, I, I think it's that, that conversation I, I had with, with my okay. three friends, Travis and Bobby okay. and, and Roland, just about just the future of, of what God was calling me into. I mean, it's like... I can still just remember that conversation so, so clearly. And God, I think he's used that moment in so many ways. And so, yeah, that, that's a conversation I'm never going to forget. Marvel or DC? Marvel, 100%. Favorite superhero? Ooh, it's like asking my favorite kid. Um, gosh, uh, I don't know, Iron Man. I, th- I think there's just something about a guy using his wit when he's not necessarily a, uh, like a metahuman, but it's just like, he, he can just out, outwit the bad guys. I don't know. There's, there's something about that I appreciate. Star Wars or Star Trek? Neither. Neither? Okay. Uh, yeah, okay. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I know you're a Star Wars guy, but it's just, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I can't, I can't get into them. Favorite food? Ooh, steak. 100%. Okay. Any, it cooked anyway, like I'm just, yeah, steak. Yourself or, uh, no, or, I can't. or at, uh, at, some, at some place? Well, any, I mean, any, I mean, any, any favorite steak place there for for anyone that's traveling into Charlotte okay, or so, Raleigh. Uh, if you come to Raleigh, I mean, truthfully, the one place you have to eat at in Raleigh is a steakhouse called Angus Barn. L- little on the pricey side, so you're probably talking 40, 50 a steak, but um, on the, I mean, 40 or 50 on the low end. Um, but man, the last time I was there, they have a Kona encrusted, like Kona coffee encrusted steak. Mm. Incredible, incredible. So I mean, that's special occasions. But honestly, my wife is an incredible like maestro on the grill, and mm-hmm. so it's like every year for my birthday, I, I either we just stay home and she either grills me uh, burgers or steak. Man, she she crushes uh, cooking in our house. Hmm. Dogs, cats, neither or both. Dogs, hundred percent, hundred percent. Favorite dog. Great Dane. So we, we, we had a Great Dane for a time um, and, uh, and had to give him to, to a family when we moved, sadly. Um, but we're actually in, in a place right now where we're trying to, hopefully my kids won't listen to this before Christmas, but, um, but we're- <laughs> I, I, I have a feeling a nine and six year old, you said, yes. aren't gonna be listening to the yes. least oh, oh, Okay, well, so, uh, so yeah, we're, we're trying to uh, get them a puppy Why? for Christmas. Why Green Day? What, what is it about Great Danes? Man, it's just something about uh, a 180 pound animal, like being affectionate to you, it's just, it's just nice. But then too, it's like, for, for me as, as like provider, protector of the family, it also makes me feel good that it's like if if somebody comes up to the door, that when you're they, when you're on the road, yeah, when I'm when I'm on the road, they they're not going to come in with bad intentions when there's an 180 pound animal with sharp teeth on the other side of the door, and so <laughs> I I, th- I think it's both both parts the the affection, but then I think just the loyal protection that they'll show towards the family that I love. Nickname growing up. Or in college. <laughs> um, so nickname as a kid, uh, my dad, uh, he, he nicknamed me Torpedo um, because <laughs> my, uh, my, my toe, my foot at the time, it's, it's not like this anymore, but my middle toe used to be my longest toe. 
And it was like, I had like this rounded foot that looked like the nose of a torpedo. And so it shortened a PD um, as a kid. Um, but then as, as I got into college, it was just this simple shortening of the name. Uh, a, a lot of people in high school, college called me D. Rich. And, um, and so a lot, a, lot of, a lot of people in those days, they, they only knew me as that. So, so yeah, awesome. those are not, not very cool nicknames, but that was about all I had. What's one unusual fact that few people know about you? Um, I used to ghost write for professional athletes. Really? Um, so NFL players, MLB players, NBA players. Really? I, I used to um, uh, ghost write for their websites as, uh, as it was for their blogs. But uh, I would write as them, and uh, and so some some very interesting, um, you know, we had inter- interesting clients, um, and and I mean even a couple times like. I, w- I was put in the unenviable position of like, you know, I would represent African-American athletes and they would want me to speak on race. And, um, and so to, to speak on race on behalf of some of these guys was, was a very interesting uh, line to toe uh, for me. But, uh, but I really enjoyed it. And the, the guys were always very, very kind and just like they're... Can you um, say some of the names? Well, good news is I, th- I think my, my company folded, and so my NDA doesn't play out anymore. Um, but yeah, it was guys like uh, Richard Sherman, um, okay. Kirk yep. Cousins, um, uh, Salvador Perez, the catcher for the Royals. Um, trying to think, uh, who else? Julio Jones. Um, I like Julio. Yeah, oh man, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, I like Julio. Yeah, I've, and, I've, I've always loved the way in which he carries himself on the field. Yeah, and, and, and I mean, the, the thing that impressed me with all of those guys across the board, I mean, even, you know, even like Richard Sherman, you see him on the field, he's very bombastic. boisterous, very, br- dude, the dude is, um, he is chatty, but to see his heart for his community, both back in L.A., to see his heart for at the time when he was in Seattle, his, his heart was always, how, how can I give back? How can That's I, awesome. um, you know, how can I stand behind kids that were just like me? And so that, that was the cool part of the job is I think being able to see these guys beyond just like press conferences and what they do on the field. I assume you're a reader. Yes. What are your favorite one to three books not titled the Holy Bible? Ooh, man. Uh, Maxwell's book, 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership. Um, that's been an incredible book for me, um, you know, both as, you know, uh, at the time as a student pastor, leader of people, you know, both of young kids, but then, you know, the, the ministry team that we would have. Uh, that was that was incredibly um, valuable book for me and a book that I've turned to multiple times. Um, there's a book written by a, a couple of pastors, Matt Carter and, and Darren Patrick, who's, who's since passed. Um, it's called For the City. And, um, and so just within the urban dynamic, how do, how do we apply the gospel to ministry within that? And so just a super practical book, very, very helpful. And then um, it, it's, it's probably not a book in general, but John Piper has this series um, where he just writes um, biographies of, of like pillars of the faith. And it's just so encouraging how it's like you can read about Spurgeon, read about um, Mueller, read about um, just so many of these guys that are that what we would think of as pillars of the faith and to see their struggles, to see how God had brought them out of it, how God had used them in spite of even their struggles or their failures, you know, and, and that series, I think he did 21 different uh, people in ministry just really, really encouraging, really, really encouraging to know I'm not the only jacked up one that happens to be telling people about Jesus. So do you have a life scripture or a scripture that really just kind of is, is 
like one that you that really encapsulates you or is motivational yeah. or meaningful? Philippians one twenty one: um, To live is Christ, to die is gain. Um, I think it's the that as long as I'm you know as long as I have breath, as long as I can I can scratch along in this world, I, I want to make everything I have about Jesus with the full view of knowing that once I pass from this life to the next, the, the best is yet to come. Like mm-hmm. this, this is not, you know, there's, there's a famous pastor in, in Houston, Texas that likes to say our best life is now. Um, and, uh, and I, I don't necessarily hold to that. My, my best life is when I see my savior face to face. Um, and I almost got that tattooed on my arm ooh, in college. Ooh, no way. Yeah. No way. Yeah, I'm not sure I told this. I'm not sure if I've told this story on, on the podcast, but well, you can retell was, it now. Well, yeah, so uh, um, I was in college uh, delivering pizzas for Little Caesars, and I would just take the change that I would have at the end of the night and just throw it in a jar mm. from the tips because I was delivering pizzas. And uh, after a while, and I was like, I think I got enough in here for a tattoo. And so um, I was really big into Christian rock, Christian metal, yeah. hardcore at the time. And uh, there was a band called The Crucified. Yes. Super yes. influential in Christian music mm-hmm. in, the, in the late 80s, I think is when they started. And then early 90s mm-hmm. before they broke up. And uh, they, they had this logo of three spikes kind of coming together as a cross mm-hmm. and then surrounded by a crown of thorns in an mm-hmm. art class. I kind of redesigned it cause I knew I could make it better Yeah, and, uh, designed that. And then I, and then, uh, um, that, that was the scripture I was going to have around there. And I had right. the money in my pocket and, um, the tattoo artist went in for my appointment and he had run out of sterile needles and he was like, you got to come back another night. And I was like, all right, no problem. And so we set up another appointment um, I don't remember if it was the next day or, or like the next week or something and went out with my roommates and went into Circuit City and the money was in my pocket. And when I got home that night, it was gone. No. It fell out at some point. And no. so, yeah. So, so what, what, what are the plans to actually get that uh, Philippians 121 tattoo on you now? I don't know. I don't, I've thought about getting that one. Um, I don't have any tattoos. I've never. Okay. Yeah. It, it's not been really a draw ever since then. But um, that's, that's probably I, I going back that's to probably it. wise, man. Because once you start, you get the fever. I'm 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 on tattoo number four, and yeah. uh, and tattoo number five is going to be yeah. Philippians one twenty one. My pastor is he was he's he's, he's thirty one years old now, maybe thirty two, and uh, he was he's getting more and more, and he was like, <laughs> yeah, once 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 you start, but he's like, I want to be there if you ever get one. Ooh, and, ooh. And I've, I've got a couple designs that that I really. I, th- I think would be good. That's a good pastor though. Go with you to the tattoo shop. Yeah, man. Yeah, he's pretty rad. He's pretty. Rad. I gotta have him on the podcast because we love getting together for cigars. Yes. If you could be any animal, what would you be? <laughs> man, I, you know, I don't know why. My favorite animal on the planet is the buffalo. Like, I just think it's the it's the raddest. Like, nobody's gonna mess with it. Bison are so you know? awesome. And it, and it's just like, but there's just like this stillness and this quiet strength to them that I just, I love. And, uh, so yeah, I'd, pro- I'd probably do that, man. The elements don't phase them. They just kind of, they're, they're the ultimate like grinder. And, and I don't, I don't know. There's, there's something about them. I love. And it's really, 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 really good meat. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, a hundred percent, man. Bison. Yep. Yep. Ted's Montana grill, man. Thank you so much for making bison readily available. I've actually country. started to look at some uh, bison farms across Colorado to get a cow or a bull and uh you better have a big have, freezer. I do. I've got a big <laughs> okay. freezer in the garage okay. and so I've 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 got some friends who want to go in on a full beef cow 
Okay. And then I've kind of reached out to them and said, hey, what if, what if we did bison? They're mm. like, ooh. Even though it's more expensive hey, man. than beef, yep. the meat is just, oh, it's so tasty. Bison, bison and elk. Incredible. Yep. Incredible. If you could live anywhere, where would that be? This, this one's an off-the-radar one. Um, Indonesia. Um, mm. my, my, my wife and I. We were talking um, about Indonesia yeah, last night. Yeah, so we, we went there a few years ago. And uh, man, I think the, the just the physical beauty, the coffee's off the chain, man. Like coffee in Indonesia is incredible. So it's like, man, to pair some Indonesian coffee with a stick now and again, like that, that'd be nice. Um, but I think too, it's just like, it's, it's just a country of, of incredible gospel need. Um, mm. la- largest Muslim republic on the planet. Evangelical presence is next to none. And so it's like selfishly, I mean, to wake up like on the beaches of Bali every morning would not be a bad scenario. Um, but then it's just like, too, it's just it's a really, I guess, spiritually dark place. And, and I'd love to mm. I'd love to be a light there. Mm. Are you an early riser, a night owl or? Man, I, I've transitioned uh, as, as of late uh, because of kids. I joke I have solar-powered children. So it's like <laughs> um, uh, sun comes up, my children are up. And so by default, dad's up. And so most, most mornings I'm up by 6.30 at the latest. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I, th- I think I've been groomed to be an early riser, whereas I, I used to be a, a late-night guy. What's your greatest strength and what's your greatest weakness? Ooh. Man, I think greatest strength is probably like adaptability and problem solving. Um, you know, I've, I've spent my whole life having to live in a world made for people with arms while not having them. And so mm-hmm. I think it's just created in my mind, like, how can I deal with this situation without the proper equipment, so to speak? But that, that's helped me in so many other aspects of life. So I, I would definitely think adaptability and problem solving. Weakness... Um, it would probably be my introverted nature. Um, and I say that as this, it's like, given what I do, it's really easy to look awesome on a stage, you know, give an awesome speech or an awesome talk, but have nobody really know me, you know, in all, all these places that I go. And then it's like, you know, Sundays I'm preaching in everybody else's church. I'm not in my home church. And, and so I think it can be really easy to not be known to not be held accountable. You know, I think it's, it's a lot in what we saw with like Ravi Zacharias and, and just his whole situation that it's like he lived a life without accountability because nobody really knew him. And I think that's my greatest fear is this, as this continues to grow, Lord willing, that, that that pride kicks in. I think I'm more awesome than I really am. Mm. I, I start to do my own thing and without accountability, without community, destructive habits start to creep up. And so I think that it's a true fear and it's, and I've seen it in my own heart. It's really easy to do. And in different stages, even in the past few years, I'll, I'll find myself like, I'll just kind of very for three months, just kind of live my life uh, alone apart from, he- you know, I mean, Heather and the kids. I mean, yeah, I'll pursue them. But it's like no real guys in my life because I'm just, you know, in and out so much. But yeah, I think I think do you a- have a good community there I, I, in the Raleigh North. I, I, Raleigh I do, area. especially since, since we've moved to Raleigh. Um, you know, it's like I had a great group of guys in Charlotte, in Charlotte that I had to leave. And so I, I really grieved that because those dudes are incredible. I love those men. And so that hurt to leave them. Um, but now that, you know, there's, there's, um, 
our, our small group that we're a part of in our church. It's, it's a good group of guys that really love the Lord and really want to pursue each other. And, um, and, and our church has a, has a real strong men's ministry. And so just, just to pursue the guys like that, because the great part is our men's stuff is like Friday mornings where typically I'm still in town. And, mm-hmm. um, and so that, that's been helping. And, and I think that lack of community, lack of accountability sort of dynamic in my life. Hmm, that's awesome. Who's the first person you think of when you hear the word successful? Man, I, I truly think of Billy Graham, you know, a guy, North Carolina guy, you know, the, those early days of his ministry. Um, it was rough. It, it was not, you know, if you ever go to the, to the Billy Graham Museum in Charlotte, North Carolina, um, it, it kind of recounts his whole life. But I mean, there'd be times when he was beginning like just the, the whole evangelism thing and he'd be gone from his wife and kids for four to eight weeks at a time. And to think of, you know, just just the toll that that had on on his wife and kids. But to see now that I mean, you know, Franklin's in ministry, serving well, making making much of Jesus as as, as much as he can. You know, regardless of what we think politically, uh, where where he might be at. But to see, I think both that that he served really well in ministry, and we all know what what he did. You know, just just through um, proclaiming the gospel. I mean, across the entire planet, and the doors that that got opened for him to to go into Russia when Russia was a closed country and opposed to the gospel and that, you know, he's, he's going to the Kremlin and, and meeting with Russian leadership, you know, back in the, the, the early eighties um, to, you know, how many people came to Christ at a, at a Billy Graham crusade to see stuff like that. But then to see it's like, he loved his wife. Well, he loved his kids. Well, that's, that to me, that's, that's a picture of success. Mm, that's cool. Who's been the greatest influence in your life? Gosh, that's really difficult to pinpoint. You know, I, th- I think for all of us, the, our, our dads are our most important person in our life. And um, I, th- I think that's true of me too, is, um, is just seeing, you know, I, I, I complicated their life. Um, when I showed up, it never once did... Uh, Never once did I hear my dad complain about it, and and I mean just so much. I mean my dad was a my dad was a trucker growing up, so he's probably gone five days a week, and, and when he would come home, he was always like trying to brainstorm, uh, just different ways to make my life easier. Like we we figured out real quick when I well, like when I started in school, um, you know our our school had this stereotypical like desk that you can pull the chair in and out from underneath, but it's like when I would put my feet up on the desk to write, like I would start to get cramps in my hamstrings and stuff like that. And my dad, just from watching me around the house, he realized that I needed, I needed my feet to be parallel with my hips so I could do that. And so he asked the school one day if he could show up and he, he brought his like saw and he sawed the legs off my table like halfway down so it would be even with my hips just so I could do all the other assignments that the kids at, at, my, at my school did. And hmm. like stories like that over and over, it's like he, he went to war for me in, in ways that it's just like no, nobody else knows. And still I mean, around living in your yeah, hometown? Yeah, st- still around, still, still alive, still, you know, still in the, the, the house that I grew up in. Mm. And, um, and so, I mean, it was, it was fatherhood, I think, in so many like casual and unspectacular ways. Um, but, but he's, he's fundamentally, I think, the most, the most important man in my life. That's amazing. What do you do for self-care to rest, 
Yeah. To recharge. Um, so self care, it's it's lots of uh, um, so you know as as much as you know we we're talking about social smoking. I mean, I I really will at times like my. My downloading is get the kids in bed at night and then I'll go out on the back porch, throw a hoodie on, you know, especially this time of year. And I'll just, I'll just sit and smoke and pray. And I mean, at times it's some of my best sermon writing. It's, it's some of the best times when God just puts guys on my heart and, um, and I'll pray for them and then, you know, text them, be like, Hey, praying for you. You know, what's, what's going on? Like you good. I think in a lot of ways, it's just a way for me to step away because it's like otherwise my, my life is just nothing but processing, thinking, planning, traveling, you know, but just to be able to, like Psalm 46 says, to be still and to give myself that like burning excuse of mm-hmm. I can't leave this $9 cigar uh, for the next two hours. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's that's definitely self-care for me. What's the best type of cheese? Ooh. My wife loves this. It's a uh, a goat cheese um, encrusted in uh, dried blueberries. Incredible. We're like crackers and cheese people in our house. And so anytime that cheese is in our fridge, it's gone real quick. Real, real quick. (laughs) Final three questions. Okay. What does Holy Smokes mean to you and how has it contributed to your spiritual journey? Yeah. I mean, Holy Smokes is community, you know, it's like to think of starting off in that Charlotte chapter, those guys being such a huge part of my journey. But then now that it's like uh, I'm on the road so much and and like we talked about, I'm I'm alone a lot. It's so incredibly nice that there's so many times where it's like I'll know I'm going to a city where there's a chapter and I can, you know, just drop it in the Facebook group. Hey, guys, I'll be in LA um, this week, I'd, I'd love to hang out with some of y'all. That that it has given me community. You know, it, it was it was so cool last night. You know, we're sitting at the Hardrays, and uh, and and Meg looks at me and she's like, "I would have been mad if you came to Colorado <laughs> Springs and didn't let us know." You know, it's like that. That's the cool part. It, it gives you this the the picture of the body of Christ. That even though like I'm not an uh, an official Colorado Springs chapter member. That it's honorary. like, yeah, that it's like I get to hop right in and it's just, it, it's my people. And so I think to have that sort of And by listening to a show like this, you automatically get to know about yeah. people's stories yeah. and, you know, oh, Paul, I mean, you yeah. were just telling me before we started recording when, when, when you showed up that mm. you shared the Paul Felitas episode with, yeah. with your wife. Yeah. Oh, you both absolutely. were crying listening yeah. to it. Yeah. Yeah. And, the, and then to see Paul walk in last night, I'm like, it's the legend. It's, it's Paul. And, and, and I mean, to, to be able to hug him, to be able to, to talk to him. he gives the less. best hugs. Oh man, I've never, that's the most like intense hug I've ever experienced in my life. Cause it's like, you know, it, when people hug me, I can't defend myself. And so, I mean, he just like, he comes in, he grabs the back of my head and we're, we're nose to nose. And he's just like, he's speaking these, these encouragements over me. And I'm like, what a cool guy, man. Nice. What, a, what an incredible man. And so I, I think to, to just be able to experience so many of those just like incredible men, incredible stories. Um, Holy Smokes really is just like a, a brotherhood in so many ways. All right. If you could have a Holy Smoke with any three people throughout history, living or deceased, who would they be? Can't name Jesus. Oh, man. So I think the Apostle Paul. Dude, I'm a Pauline guy through and through. Paul's suffering. Um, Paul's focus on the gospel. I'd love to sit with that dude. Billy Graham. Uh, I think, again, just given, I, I think, much of my role very similar to I think how he started I I don't ever think I'm going to get to that place but I do want to ask the questions of like how did 
how did you do the ministry well and how did you do family well? Um, not, not that I ever would picture Billy Graham smoking a cigar, but I'll, I'll, I'll take it. I'll maybe, it. maybe on this side of heaven, he's like, Ooh. he's having one with, with Spurgeon right now. I, I and could, he, Spurgeon and C.S. Lewis might, I, have, might have converted him at this point. I could deal with that. And I have always really respected um, just Jackie Robinson. The, Ooh, the, the that's facts, a good one. That's you know, a good one. Here, here's a man that it's like, he knew everything with him going to the Dodgers was going to cost him. But, but he knew being in, in the limelight, it costing his family, but just being, I think, both herald and foundation of a civil rights movement to come, you know, just to be able to sit and, and just hear, like, how did you stay strong when the entire world wanted you to fail? Um, man, just, just to glean wisdom from that, man, I, I, I would treasure that more than anything. Mm. Yeah. And conversely, one of my three was Branch Rickey, the GM Ooh, that signed yes, yes, Jackie Robinson because he was a cigar guy and a yeah. man of deep faith. Mm. And, mm. uh, I've, I've told this on the podcast a couple of times, but, uh, he was somebody that back when he was the GM of, I think, the Cardinals. It may have even been prior to that with the Browns. He had a short list mm. of Negro League players that as soon as Judge Landis, the commissioner of baseball, stepped down or died, that he was, and sure enough, within a year of Judge Landis dying, because Judge Landis had, had a decree, mm-hmm. no, yep. ne- no Negro League players, no African Americans in baseball, period, yeah. end of story. Oh, man. And, and so Branch was like, he, he was, he's just a fascinating human being and and Jackie equally in my opinion because just of what he did and the way in which he carried himself and yeah man and and selfishly as a sports fan like there's so much of me like if we could have gotten guys like Satchel Paige, Josh Gibson, Cool Papa Bell like those those... was the man I was actually looking a a few months ago at at a um, replica throwback wool authentic replica of uh, um of josh gibson jersey because mm-hmm. he i mean like yeah. the, the, the stories of him the stories of cool papa bell are literally mythic i yeah. mean it's, it's satchel page yeah oh and absolutely satchel. absolutely and it's like I, mean, I know satchel pitched in the leagues but I'm, i think by the time he that got was, to the majors I mean, he was in 40s. his 40s yeah yeah, yeah, yeah he was yeah. in his 40s and still doing well yeah so it's like what would we we have seen if we would have got satchel in the leagues at 24 you know like uh, man what, what i would have loved to have seen yeah yeah. All right. So you're a sports guy. Yes. Who are your teams? Oh, all right. Carolina Panthers. So constant disappointment. Um, uh, <laughs> Not constant. You guys have made a couple Super Bowls. Right. And we lose them all uh, in, in, in like horrible fashions. Um, uh, yeah, I'm a Panthers fan. Uh, college sports. I'm a Tar Heels fan. So again, constant disappointment, at least in football. Basketball's a little. Hasn't, little... hasn't Mac Brown turned that around? You know, th- like this year was supposed to be the year we were like top eight preseason, but it just, it did not come together. It, I met, I met Mac Brown one time when he no was the coach way. at Texas. He was at a coaching clinic. I used to coach high school football. Yeah. I actually met him twice. Yeah. I met him twice. He's the most warm, mm. personable. I mean, the first time I met him, it was, in, it was in an elevator. He was going down for when he was going to go speak. And I was there in Vegas mm. with my wife, my father-in-law, my wife's stepmom and, and their two daughters who were young at the time. Yeah. And, uh, um, he was just so personable with Aaron and Alicia, just talking to them and asking them questions. And I was like, this is a dude that if I had a kid who was about to play college, major college football, mm. I would want 
my son around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I would, I would really want my son around because he was just he was just that kind of a person. Yeah, we um uh what was it? It was last last Christmas we popped in a Bass Pro Shop. We always do their little pictures with Santa, and we just so happened to be there at the same time as the strength and di- conditioning coach from Carolina. He he was there, and so we got to talking. And I asked him, I was like, well, what's Mac really like? He's like, he's everything you would think. He's like, he's just the most salt of the earth dude for, <laughs> yeah. you know, yep. for a guy that college football hall of famer, um, you know, is, is, has checked all the boxes. It's just like, he's still just a kind real dude. And, and that, that is, it's just really encouraging to hear that there's still a few guys like that in sports. Yeah. All right. Now, final question. If we're to meet one year from today mm-hmm. and I got a bottle of your favorite bourbon, we're busting it out at your fire pit. Ooh, amen, amen. What are we celebrating? Oh man. Um, well, I mean, by God's grace, my second book will have released, and so that will be exciting. But but I think more than anything, it's just. I mean, for me, at the end of the day, it's just that I, I've really tried my best to to tell the world about about the hope that they can have in Christ, and that. I've pursued my wife and kids well for, for the past 365 days. Uh, I mean, for me, it's like I care less about any other metrics, crowd sizes, locations, destinations, anything like that. Like, that won't matter when somebody's, like, speaking over my casket. You know, it's like uh, as much as I want 50 years from now, someone to say he loved Jesus and he loved his family – I want that to be said of the same in the next 365 days. Daniel Ritchie, love you, brother. Hey, Thanks love for being you, man. On the Holy Smokes podcast. Hey, thankful for you, dude.